It's only after verse 19 and on, and you'll study this, that Jesus begins to do his job. Jesus begins to do his ministry in with the people. And so what does Je- why is this important? Because this is where we can see and the people themselves saw who Jesus was. So that's why it's the book of signs. As a matter of fact, go very quickly to chapter 11. I want to read this to you right towards the end of the first or the second section. Chapter 11, verse 47. Look at what, what is said here when they're about to plot to kill Jesus. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do for this man performs many what? Many signs. And, and check out the confusion. Go, to, go back to chapter 7. I just want to set this up for you so you guys could understand. Chapter 7 says in verse 31, Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? They were kind of confused. They're kind of like, man, this guy's already done so many signs. And if we're still waiting the Christ, the Christos, the Messiah, the anointed one, if we're still awaiting his his coming, is he going to do more signs than this man? And so what is happening here is the affirmation, once again, in this book of signs, the evangelist is propping up Jesus Christ so that we know who he is and there will be no doubt in our brain, in our souls, and in our hearts that this is truly Jesus Christ. I mean, in chapter 2, Jesus does his first miracle. He turns the water into wine. In chapter 4, he heals the, the, the official's son. In chapter 5, he heals the crippled man. In chapter 6, he, he feeds the multitude. In chapter 9, he heals the blind man. And in chapter 11, it culminates with the raising of Lazarus. You guys all know that story. This is the book of signs. And this is for the reason of its hearers, of its readers, and those who will follow Christ if they can't get through the first 18 verses, if they can't get through the next 12 verses, then the third section of the book of glory, which is where the passion occurs in in chapters 18 through 20, if they can't get through these first two sections, they will never understand the resurrection. They will never understand the Passion Week. They will never understand Christ doing his work as a living sacrifice. So this becomes very important. So the people are confronted with this true reality. Once they read this, once they are are shown Jesus, the life of Christ, who is Christ? The question is, what do you believe now? After you read this, after you know this, after you've seen this, these people had the privilege and the honor to see Christ do his miracles. After you see this, what are you to believe? How are you going to respond? Friends, in 21st century America, after you read this gospel, after you feel this this way of the book of signs, how are you going to respond to Christ? What are you going to believe about him? What are you going to know about him? And how are you going to live your life after you receive these truths? You can't just go on blindly after you know this stuff. But as we will see, many who saw these signs turned their back on Christ 
and they rejected him, and they pushed him away, and they didn't understand him. So friends, as we go through this first section, we're going to go through the first two days of the ministry of Christ. It's interesting, up until chapter 2, we have the full seven days of Jesus' initial ministry. This is the way Jesus begins his job. The first full week of his job role is being fulfilled. And in this section that we're going to be researching and, and studying a bit, we'll see him work out his first two days. So read with me in chapter 1, verses 19 through 34. The Word of God says this, And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. 24. Now they had sent from, they were sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Verse 29, the next day, this is day two, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for the purpose I am baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to try to go through this very quickly because there, there's so much to talk about and I could get derailed in so many, so many areas, but I really want to concentrate on certain sections here. I want you to understand what John is doing at the very beginning. See, in the very first section of, of verses 19 through 24, we have the questioning of John. I'm going to be using John as John the Baptist, and when I say the evangelist, I'm referring to the one who, the author of the, of the Gospels, just so that we don't get confused, and myself, I don't get confused. But John is becoming under scrutiny for his ministry. And so the question in verse 19 to John the Baptist is, yo, who are you? Now, why is this a concern? 
Now we read in verse 19 that the Jews sent priests and Levites. Now we could get a little bit more detailed on this, but, but the, the information isn't too much, and I'll be able to explain this later on as we read uh, the, the gospel further. But the Jews, and, and, and that word and that terminology nowadays can kind of sound anti-Semitic, can kind of sound like we don't like the Jewish people, and we could kind of use this as propaganda against the Jews, and in no way this is what the gospel is referring to. Because many, more than half of the times, the Jews in the gospel of John are considered good. But also... Jews in the Gospel of, of John, about 40% of the time, are referred to in the negative as those who oppose Christ. So here we get this opposition first towards John. And so the, the Jews, and later on we'll, we'll, we'll find out exactly who these Jews are, but these Jews sent out these priests and these Levites who are in charge of the temple and who are in charge of the house of God because the fame of John the Baptist is, is building. He's growing. He's becoming, in our day, what we would say Instagram famous. And everyone is hearing about him. Everyone is seeing him. And everyone is following him. And more importantly, Everyone is being baptized, what it seems like. Everyone is being baptized by John. So this brings curiosity to these religious leaders. Who is this guy? We're the ones who hold the true knowledge of God. We are the ones who uphold the law. We are the ones that, that know God. And this guy's over here baptizing with water? Who is this guy? And so the question goes out. And immediately, what does John reply in verse 20? It goes, it goes from the question, who are you, to a firm theological rebuke. In verse 20, what does John say? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed what? I am not who? The Christ. Now, did they ask that? They just asked him, who are you? But John being very focused and very alert and kind of like, has been around the block a couple of times, kind of knows what they're asking and what they're after, especially if they're from the Jewish community. They, he reads between the lines. I know what you're really asking. You're asking me if I'm, if, if I'm claiming to be the Messiah, if I'm claiming to be the one that you're waiting for, if I'm claiming to be this Christ. And John says, I am not to kind of settle the ease of these people because this was the Jewish hope of all the nation, when will the Messiah return? And there was a lot of false messiahs claiming to be here. R roughly in, this, in, in the first century, we have about the story of like four to five within Judea claiming to be the Messiah. So skepticism was very rampant. A lot of people were claiming to be the Messiah. It's kind of like even 20th century America with all these people claiming to be Jesus Christ. But John is like, take it easy, it is not me. I am not him. So I want you to feel this, this re rejection of self immediately. Not in a negative sense where, where we can feel from John that he hates himself. No, John understands his role. We saw that in the prologue. After me comes someone better. John understands what he's doing, why he's on mission. John understands what God has placed him there to be. And so immediately he begins to back up. I'm not Christ. That's the first thing he wants everyone to know. I am not Christ. Because a lot of people could have been confused. And he could have felt good. Like, oh man, these people think 
I'm the Messiah. These people, I'm, they think that I'm the one that they've been waiting for. And he could have been like carried away and put it like, hey, this feels good. They, they invite me out to eat. They, they buy me stuff now. Like, man, this is a good gig. But John says, no, I am not the Christ. And the way this awkward sentence is constructed in Greek, if you read it in English, it's kind of weird. In verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. It's an awkward construction, but what it's trying to do is being, it's being very emphatic. It's being like in your face, no, 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 I am not the Christ, and I will not affirm if you believe that I am. He rejects that. Verse 21, the, the, the question goes in, okay, so if you're not Christ, then who are you? Are you Elijah, the prophet? Elijah? Now you guys remember Elijah and all the great things he did in the Old Testament. This is John once again pushing himself aside. People confused him, and they were thinking then, are you Elijah? And we get to see the maturity and the growth of John in this, but check out how he responds. Now, now before we see his response, we have to understand why he's considered Elijah in the first place. Why would they ask him that? Why would they think that he would be Elijah? Well, in the Old Testament, in, in, in the book of Malachi, the prophet in chapter 4, verse 5 says that God will send a prophet before the day of judgment who will be Elijah. So the Jewish nation and the Jewish people are thinking, okay, so if you're not the Christ, then are you this guy that they were prophesying about? Are, are you the, the Elijah in the book of Malachi from 400 years ago? Is this you? And John says, it ain't me. But here again, here's the weight of John. In, 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 the, in the initial description of John the Baptist, I am not Christ. I am not here to give myself glory. I'm here to prop up Christ. And what does John say? This is not me. But it's interesting that the synoptic gospels like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all kind of describe John in a similar way to Elijah. I mean, they wore the same clothing. They had, they had camel hair tunic. However, that might look, if you're into fashion, that, that might be coming back into trend soon. But he wore like, like a camel suit, like a weird and uncomfortable sackcloth type of fashion. He had a leather belt. Uh, they, Luke describes him out in the desert living, eating bees and, and like all this weird stuff. And, and so John is like this weird dude, similar to Elijah that we see in the book of Kings. So that's why people are asking, are, are you Elijah? And then what's most incredible, as it, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus himself in chapter 11 says, you're Elijah. You are the Elijah that the people have been waiting for. You are making the way. I want you to read that very quickly just so you, you can see that in the, in the lips of Christ. Matthew chapter 11, we'll read it from, from verse 7 and on. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? 
in Gucci and Armani. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are kings, are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? What does Jesus say? Yes! I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of a woman, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is the least in the kingdom is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, what does he say? He is Elijah who is to come. Jesus himself affirms the identity of John the Baptist being Elijah. Why does John reject this? Again, no man is perfect. We look at the people in the, in the, in the, in the Bible and we're like, these guys are just untouchable. And to, to a certain extent, compared to our lives, like John the Baptist, dude is holy, man, compared, at least compared to me. Maybe, maybe you, you may be like on par with John the Baptist, but me? I mean, Elijah? You, you think I could I have that anointing like Elijah? There's no way. Yet, they're flawed. John didn't understand, or, or better yet, pushed his identity aside in order to not get any glory for himself. What's going on here is that Jesus recognizes the value of John's ministry more than John himself. John says, no, I am not him. This is why John is considered, we just read it in Matthew chapter 11, he's par excellence. He's the, the, the go-to prophet. Jesus says there's nobody like him. As a matter of fact, they ask him, are you then the prophet? And John says, no. And Jesus just said in Matthew chapter 11, you are the prophet, and you're more affirming the calling of John. But this just goes to show that John was clear in understanding his mission and role. There's nothing worse than living life without understanding what your purpose is. And there's nothing worse than when someone else tells you what your purpose is, and it's not God's purpose for your life. And so you begin to live your life the way someone or some things or, or the way a certain institution sets it up to be great. You know, if you go this way, you're going to make a lot of money. You're going to be set financially. You're going you're gonna to make it big. You're going to be famous. He understood his mission. And in the rejection of all these great titles, look at what he rejects. The title of Christ. The title of Elijah the prophet. The title of the prophet. And from Deuteronomy chapter 18, the, the, the Deuteronomy chapter 18 talks about the prophet like Moses will come to set the way. And he rejects that title too. It's not me. I understand my mission. We saw that in the beginning verses. He, he is genuinely straight in his character. Untouchable in his character. He's committed. This is the most important aspect of John's ministry. He's committed to the preeminence of the one after him. 
That's why in the prologue, in verse 15 of the prologue, he says, the one who comes after me outranks me. What does that mean? He's greater than I am. He is better than I am. He is better. Jesus is better. He is the prophet par excellence, and we should pay attention to why he begins to set up this witness to Jesus Christ. He is not the Christ. He is not the Elijah. He is not the prophet of who they, they anticipated from the days of Moses. They keep questioning him and questioning him. They run out of identities to ask. And so finally in verse 22, they come to like this, uh, this moment and say, like, all right, so then who are you? What does it say in verse 22? So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So here, for the first time, we get to see John respond to these, to these questions. What does John say about himself then? It's interesting to know. What, what, what do you, if, you, if you look at the life of John and you see how he responds, when people ask you, who are you? How do you respond? Do you respond, oh, I'm a mechanic. Oh, I'm a, I'm a student. Oh, I'm a father. It's interesting to know how you would respond to the question, who are you? John responds. Read with me verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, this is interesting. This is mind-blowing because in the synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of them say the same thing about John. They quote Isaiah just the way John is quoting Isaiah. They, they go back to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Yes, he's the one of the voice crying out in the wilderness. That's him. But what's interesting here is that no one else, the, the, the evangelist, John the evangelist, the writer of the Gospel, isn't quoting this for him. It's John himself identifying himself as, the, as what the prophet had anticipated. Isaiah said that he is the one, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. This is him. And he's here to do what? To make straight the way of the Lord. He is here to make way, to make straight the way of Jesus Christ. Now, now, why would, God, why would John the Baptist identify himself in this? Well, not only do all the other gospel writers identify him like this, but he understands his role, that he is only a voice. He is not the word. What did we read in John chapter 1? The, 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 in the beginning was the word. John the Baptist isn't the word. He is a simple voice amongst other voices that will come to affirm the calling of Christ. He is just a voice. And where is this voice? Where does verse 23 say this voice is? In the wilderness, in obscurity, in the desert. That's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, when we read in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is like, are you looking for this fancy prophet guy? Those guys are kings inside of a castle. 
You want to look for them and these, these bougie people? They're over there in high places, in places of rank. John's like, man, I'm just a voice in the desert. Ain't nobody looking for me. Ain't nobody want me. I'm just someone here to make way, to make straight the way of the Lord. What does that mean? See, kings, when they would enter their palaces and, and enter their kingdoms, anyone that, the subjects that would serve the king, they would literally take away the, the, the obstacles in the way of the, of the king to come in to his castle or his kingdom. If you watch golf, which I, I rarely ever do because I, I don't even believe that's a sport. But anyway, if, if you watch golf, you see the golf players, and I do this when I go putt-putt, when I go play um, uh, miniature golf. They, 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 they wipe away the little rocks in order to make sure that the ball can go straight into the hole. It, it never works, but like they do, or at least the professional ones do it. They're, they're making a way so that it gets into its, its final destination. And, and, and so for the kings, this is what it was doing. Making a way, getting away all the obstacles. And so what does John mean by, by that? What obstacles are in the way? What physical obstacles are in the way? Well, he's not talking about a physical obstacle. He's talking about the obstacle of sin. And so when you read the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, what do they say John does? He does the baptism of what? Of repentance. You know what's in the way of a life in Christ? A lack of repentance. Now Jesus could come in and destroy those walls at any moment. Knock down. Jesus doesn't knock softly. As we've been accustomed to say, he's a gentleman. He knocks on the door. No, when Jesus comes in, he comes in. But the unrepentant, those unrepentant, I mean, we could look at it nowadays in, in, in church, in our modern culture. There's people here that don't repent. There's people that live a Christian life without repentance. Their way before God isn't straight. So John, what he's saying, if in order for us to live in Christ, in order for us to be fulfilled in Christ, we have to repent. Repent of what? Of our sin. Of that which is in the way of God doing what he has to do in our life. God cannot work, not because he is not powerful enough to, but God does not choose to work in hearts who are unrepentant. God wants Hearts that are truly repentant before God, that recognize their pride, they, they break their pride, and they say, God, I have sinned before you. Forgive me. And so as we continue in church, make sure that's your pattern in life, a life of continual repentance before a holy God, because it isn't like you stopped sinning. It isn't like you have the capacity to never again sin. It isn't like you're powerful enough to live a perfect life on your own. As a matter of fact, even with Christ, we can't live a perfect life. That is the hope of our destiny. So John is preparing this way and getting this obstacle out of the way, which is sin. And so he baptizes with the baptism of repentance, Repent, for the kingdom of God is 
at hand. The Pharisees in verses 25 through 24 through 25 are still in doubt. Read with me verse, 20, chapter, uh, verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and here's the clarity of who these Jews were in, 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 the, in verse 19. They're Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? What's the big deal? Who are you to be doing this? Remember, these Jews are the Pharisees. They're the main ones. They're the, they're the ones who have the law of God. They have it memorized. They're the students of the law. They're the ones who teach religion to their people. And now this other guy is coming in baptizing the people that these guys are supposed to be pastoring? What are you doing, man? Who, if you're neither one of these guys, then why do you have the power to do this? And most importantly, this is what gets to them. John is baptizing. John is immersing people in water for the cleansing of their soul and for repentance. For the Jew and for the Pharisee, this means that their rituals, this means that their sacrifices, this means that their daily cleansing at the temple, this means that all of their traditional aspects of the Qumran law that they invented in first century Judea, are worthless because this other guy is baptizing and washing sins away. So they're like, who are you and why are you doing Who gave you authority? These people immediately reject this messenger. And they will eventually reject Jesus Christ himself. But John begins to baptize with this baptism of repentance and shows them what it means to live a life in Christ without their thousand plus laws. And the Pharisees are upset. So John responds, and go with me to verse 26 through 28, this section here, John responds, among you stands John answered them, I baptize with water. Here's John again, setting himself aside. This is the only thing I'm doing, what John is saying. I just baptized with water. And this is going to make more sense when we read the last part. I just baptized with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Oh, this is, this is important right here. Someone is in their midst. What did verse 14 say? If you guys remember Christmas a bit. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt, where? Amongst us. That Greek word mesos is the same word that is used here in the middle, like literally in the middle of his people. He stands there, and, and the, the, the grammar here is heightened because he's using this, this, this verb in the perfect sense, which means a heightened proximity of what he is doing, an emphatic voice of what he is doing. Christ is there amongst them, and they do not know him. Worse than that, they reject him. And he's in the middle of them. This goes to show that regardless of what Christ does and who Christ is, many can live 
their entire lives without knowing and also rejecting Christ, just like these people did. And so John says, you guys don't even know it. Look, look he says in, in verse 27, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. There he sets himself down again, sets himself to the side. Verse 28, these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now this, this location becomes very important because this is where the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and this is in the south part of Judea, and then Jesus will begin to go north and begin to do his ministry and a lot of miles are in between the north and the south. But what's important here and why the, the, the evangelist says this is so that we can see the small beginnings of Jesus Christ near the wilderness where John was crying from, a voice of one crying in the wilderness. But John identifies this need. John identifies the flaw. John shows us what the issue is. The problem here is that you in the sense of the Jews and the Pharisees, don't know Christ. Now we have to ask the same question here. Is that the problem in 21st century America? Is that the problem in Vida Abundante? Is that the problem here amongst you? That you've been in church your whole life and you still don't know Christ? Is that an issue? And sometimes our lifestyles are easier to answer because we could see our lifestyles and we could observe what we do and how we act and the faith that we carry and we say, we can say it like John. You don't know Christ. And some people are going to be like, well, you can't judge me. You ain't nobody to judge. John wasn't judging anyone. John was just stating a fact. And I'm going to state this same fact, that you can be in church your entire life. Friends, I was in church for 20-something years and I... I don't think I became a Christian until after I was 20-something. Like, oh, the pastor's son. It's true. We can be here this entire time. We can hear. We can go through the prologue time and time again, and, and we will never know who Christ is until repentance takes place. So don't kid yourself, friends. Don't kid yourself by coming to church every Sunday and think you know Christ. Day of repentance is today, so make sure you know him. So then what does John do? We're going to finalize this section today by going to the main objective. John denies in the first part. John points to who is the real one in the second part from verse 23 to 28. And now John not only identifies who he is, but identifies his job role. Why is Jesus coming here? So go with, with me to verse 29. This final section is John's testimony of Jesus. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, and I screamed it when I was reading it because this is what, what this word really means. It's not like, hey guys, can you, can you hey, Hello, can you listen to me? No, it's, it's John saying, hey, wake up. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
the way it's constructed in Greek makes it extra loud. I should be screaming louder, but I'm afraid that I'll scare you guys a little bit. Like, hey, we ain't coming back, man. This guy screams way too much. It's, it's a little frightening. My kids are trying to sleep right now. Behold, and it's emphatic. And he points to Jesus Christ coming. The Lamb of God to take away the sin. I want you to hear that word, sin, not sins in the plural. Sin. He identifies the issue. Sin is the cause. Sin of the world. And for the first time, John, and in the Gospel of John, we identify the role of Jesus Christ as the sacrificial lamb. This is his job. For the first time we see it presented, what is Jesus supposed to do? He is supposed to be the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sin of the world. This is the role of Jesus Christ to reconcile humanity to himself, to wipe away the sin of the world. That's why we see him in the final book in, 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 in Revelations chapter 5, the victorious Lamb of God who wins and who conquers over the enemy and over Satan. And we read him in, in Revelation chapter 5 and Revelation chapter 11 and 18 and 21. This is the Lamb that is victorious at the end of all ages. But this same lamb is the one who is victorious over sin. Friends, your sin can be wiped away by Jesus Christ because that's what he does. He is the lamb who comes to wipe away the sin of the world. Friends, he could wipe your sin away. And John identifies his role. It's no longer about me. John said, I'm, I'm not Christ, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet. It's not, I, I don't even, I'm not even worthy to tie this guy's sandals or untie them. It's, not, it's him, 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 him. And he comes, and he enters, and John gives the description of what he does and why he's doing it. He is greater in verses 30 to 31 if you read that with me, this is the one whom I said after me comes someone who ranks before me. Look at verse 31. I myself did not know him, but for the purpose I am baptizing with water that he may be revealed to Israel. That's John's job description. And, and this, something should catch your eye here. John says that I didn't even know him. So we'll get to that meaning right now. But he's preparing the way to reveal him to Israel and then finally to the end of the world. But then, not only does John testify about Jesus Christ, this isn't just John's sole testimony about Jesus Christ. How do we know for a fact that this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God? What happens in verse 32 through 33? And John bore witness, and he says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Not only does John testify about the work of Jesus Christ, but the Holy Spirit testifies about the role of Jesus Christ. How does he do it? By descending from heaven and remaining on him. A physical dove was the description of the Holy Spirit inside of everyone. And when, when John, the, the gospel writer, writes that it remains on him, it's talking about the permanence of this work. When the Spirit is on him, it will be permanent. 
through his ministry and for all ages to testify that he is what John concludes in verse 34, the Son of God. So we get this testimony and this, and this, and, and this witness of John, of Jesus, through John. John is the first one to do it in the book of signs. And for the rest of these, of these chapters, time and time again, the, the, the person of Jesus Christ will be a testimony and a witness to who God is in him. So now, my friends, the question is, John was a faithful witness. John was the, the prophet par excellence by, by showing us who Christ really is. Friends, what are we to do then? And I call you and I call this church to, to, to one major, major concern that we have as a church, to be a faithful witness like John. This isn't about you. Church isn't about you. The world doesn't revolve around you. Maybe your mommy made you feel that way when you were little. See, mijito, yes, yes, oh, everything for you. And you got all the good stuff. This isn't about you. We live to give God glory. And we are here to be faithful witnesses to Christ. Your agenda gets put to the side when you focus on your main objective in your life. To give God glory and to be a faithful witness to Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up and let's pray. This morning, wake somebody up. Tell them, hey, be a faithful witness this morning. And let me pray for you so that this word can sink into your soul. Let's pray. Father, as we dismiss and as we end our day, we've come here to worship and listen to your word. We are in first place, like the Baptist, John the Baptist, humbled that you have chosen people like us, people in the wilderness, Simple people. But these people carry a great message. These people, together, we as a people, carry a glorious message. And that is the message that John the Baptist had in his heart. Behold the Lamb of God who wipes away the sin of the world. Father, may we be a faithful witness to that great truth today, tomorrow, and upon your return, Lord, that we may witness the love and grace and wrath of our Lord. In Jesus' name.